I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and therapist Claire Bidwell-Smith. Uh, her new book is Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief, a Revolutionary Approach to Understanding and Healing the Impact of Loss. In a 2018 public opinion poll, the American Psychiatric Association reported that a majority of Americans are anxious. This number has been growing annually, and in a time of global pandemic, it makes sense that numbers today are spiking even more. We are experiencing unprecedented grief and anxiety on a global scale. Many will have to endure this experience physically isolated from the very people who would, under normal circumstances, be there for them. Dealing with grief on its own can already be an isolating experience that leads to anxiety. And Claire Bidwell-Smith provides a roadmap to keeping cycles of grief, isolation, and anxiety from snowballing. She's the author of two previous books and has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, Salon.com, Slate, and many more. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thank you, Catherine. Well, as I mentioned in uh, my brief description of you in the book, we are in an age of unprecedented anxiety and grief. So I guess when I would, my first question is, when did you decide to write the book? Was it before the pandemic, during, after? Give us a timeline for that. It's amazing. I decided to write this book several years ago and um, completed it a few years ago as well. And I never imagined that there would come a time in our world when everyone was experiencing grief and anxiety. Um, at the time that I wrote it, I had been in private practice for almost 10 years and had worked in hospice and had seen an enormous amount of anxiety in my grieving clients, and it wasn't something I was seeing recognized in any of the grief literature. So I really wrote this book for them, and I, I couldn't have anticipated, I, none of us could, that we would be at one point in this global pandemic um, and that the whole world would be experiencing grief and anxiety at the same time. So what would be the difference? I mean, or is there a difference? I mean, as you say, you're writing about grief and loss and hospice and, and in a very different context. We have a... a, a yeah. yeah. I think there's some similarities and some differences. You know, when we go through a personal loss, as I was thinking about more when I was writing this book, often the world feels, um, you feel very isolated from the world. It feels like everyone's kind of going on about their daily lives and you are kind of crumbling inside and going through this deeply painful personal process when you've lost someone significant. Um, Right now, we're all experiencing it, which is kind of this remarkable thing that I've never seen in all my years um, where we're all feeling it together. So whether you're going through a personal loss right now during the pandemic due to COVID or something else, or you are experiencing grief because of the pandemic, either you've lost a job or you're kind of experiencing the grief of the way of life that we once lived, or you're grieving for your children who are missing graduations or home from school. There's a lot of grief going on, period, for the world right now. Um, or you're grieving for public you know, numbers that you're seeing on television. I think in some ways we're almost all experiencing grief, even if it's not a specific person that we've lost. Um, and then on top of that, we're all experiencing this anxiety um, that comes partly with the grief and partly with the uncertainty of everything that's happening in our world right now. It's truly remarkable to think about it on this global scale. I think this, uh, as you just said, the unpredictability of everything, at least, and, and I think for me, that's one of the most difficult pieces of the whole thing, because mm-hmm. there's really no 
very little predictability. Even though there's root, we're routinized in some monotony because we can't go anywhere or do the things that we used to do, it's still unpredictable. So it's kind right. of a very, yeah, it makes it a very strange world. Um, it does. And I mean, I think this is, this is where anxiety stems from in, in a kind of regular grief process where, you know, you can be going about living your, your regular life and you lose someone significant. And it, it's that deep reminder and sometimes realization for the first time that life is not predictable. Um, I think we, we often live under the illusion that it is and that we can predict, you know, what's coming for us and how we're going to live out our lives. And then we lose someone we love and, and we're reminded of our mortality and reminded that we have very little control over how much time we have here. And so that's kind of the more normal arc of the grief and anxiety process. Right now, we're just feeling that and seeing that on such a different scale, but it's very similar. It's the same kind of feeling. It's the same kind of anxiety. And it's that feeling of of having to hold space in so much uncertainty, you know? We don't know how long this will go on for. We don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know what's coming in the months or weeks ahead. We'd love to figure it out, but we still have to sit within this uncertainty right now, and it's very anxiety-inducing. What do you think the impact is that we don't have any consistency either, the consistency from the federal government at the top. And we have, you mm-hmm. know, governors telling us what different governors making different decisions based on some based on science, maybe some not so based on science. And we have all that inf- information available to us because, you know, we're on, ta- we can watch TV 24 seven, right? So you, you're bombarded mm-hmm. with all this sort of indiscrepancies and different information and that makes you anxious. That makes one anxious. So how do we deal with that? Absolutely. I think there's, there's so much to kind of sift through and to not know and to know and to be frustrated about And I know some people are angry and frustrated on both sides of the situation, you know, which is really fascinating. Um, and so I think we're going to see more anxiety than, than ever. You know, we were already on an uptick in our culture. Um, and I think a lo- largely due to um, just kind of the temperature and climate of our um, politics and culture and changes, but also technology. I think one of the things that we really have to do and be smart about right now is our, our information intake. You know, one of the things I advise people to do is not look at their phones before they get out of bed, you know, not look at their phones in the middle of the night if they wake up. It's too much information at once, you know. Um, we're, we're not so great at... Um, at getting mindful and really paying attention to our thoughts and doing some mindfulness and cognitive work where we're, we're letting, you know, most of us, we, we, we pick up our phone in the morning before we're even out of the bed. And just with like the flick of a screen, we take in so much information that can cause so much anxiety and uncertainty that before we've even had coffee, we are kind of swimming in a sea of it, you know, having physical reactions to it, having behavioral reactions to that anxiety. Um, so I think swimming in a sea of it, I think, is really I like that expression because mm-hmm. that's what I've been doing: swimming in a sea of it. At you waking up in the yeah. middle of the night, doing exactly what you say not to do, and I know you're right. <laughs> uh, I've got my iPad, my it's iPhone. It's hard not to. It's hard um, not to. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we do it is because we feel like we're preparing ourselves if we have more information, um, and that's normal to think and to feel, and that's I think a normal response is to if we can you know, get as much information as possible, we will be prepared to deal with whatever comes. But I think that we actually need to limit that a little bit. Um, I think information is important, but limiting your intake of it and maybe appointing someone, taking breaks, taking news breaks, I think is great. Appointing someone you trust, like my husband is very 
grounded and, and practical. So sometimes I'll be like, honey, will you just tell me if there's something I need to know? I'm going to take a break from the news for a couple of days. Um, because otherwise I can get myself into a very anxious state reading, you know, going down these rabbit holes in the news. An information frenzy. And I, I want to <laughs> add to that because I have found, you know, with all my friends and I realize and colleagues, people are different. And in the beginning, I like to share information if I see something and I'm sharing all this information because mm-hmm. I think that I have all the right information. And then I realize mm-hmm. I have some friends who don't want me to be e- emailing me information. I have others who do. Right. And um, so I've kind of developed a sensitivity to that. Uh, I don't send out everything that I see to a couple friends that I have. They don't want it. They don't want I And I can, you know, they haven't told me that, but I, I know that they don't. I can tell. You by, can sense they, it. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't I think respond. It's important to, to choose yeah. who we're sharing things with, but also who we're leaning on to. You know, I think some people can lend to more anxiety. Some people can help us with our anxiety. So I think we have to be conscious about who we're choosing to, um, you know, socially distant, virtually socialize with. Um, yeah. Doesn't it also get into, and I'm going to use this pre-morbid functioning, how did I mean, we can examine ourselves, take a look at our family, take a look at the people that we are interacting with. Like, how did one function before all this happened? Because that, you know, that's going to say something about how resilient they may be now in the context of this pandemic. I, I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I think that for people who've experienced any kind of loss or trauma, this pandemic is, is bringing up a lot for them and is causing them more anxiety. I think when you've been through any big loss or trauma, you're kind of more hyper alert and hypersensitive to threats, right? And this is a threat. It's a danger. Um, so I think that there are some people who are really struggling to cope right now. Um, and then some people who this is very new to, they haven't been through anything big like this in their lives. So uh, in some cases, that may cause them some anxiety for the first time. And in some cases, that may cause them to be a little more flippant about it or um, not take it very seriously because they don't have any context for that kind of loss or, or danger. Um, so you're seeing a lot of different, uh, different things on the, on the spectrum of how we're all internalizing this and processing it. But I think I one, know of, one of the things that you address is how to grieve alone in the age of COVID-19 because there are people or have too many people. I mean, my, I'm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quarantined with my daughter-in-law. I feel sorry for her. <laughs> Who would want to be quarantined <laughs> with their mother-in-law but and the rest of the family? So I get it, right? But then there are people who have are by themselves. So let's talk about those sort of different kinds of circumstances. Yeah, I think that um, that's one of the things we're seeing that's so difficult right now is that there are people who are really isolated. They're truly on their own. They're living alone. Um, you know, a lot of people in big cities, so they're they're very much, you know, trapped in small spaces or apartments or um, those living situations. And they're very on their own right now, which I think is so difficult. Um, and then when you're, you couple that with grieving alone, um, I know several people, clients, friends, family, who've lost someone in COVID and um, are now alone and grieving. And they're not able to have a funeral or a memorial or sit shiva. They are not able to go to a grief group or grief counseling or have friends come by. Um, and so they're all by themselves. And in some cases, they weren't able to say goodbye to their loved one either in person. And so we're seeing a lot of that. And I think it's lending to very complicated grief. And I think over the next months, year, two years, we're going to see a lot of complicated grief, which is going to be extended periods of grieving, um, you know, 
a lot of grappling with guilt, frustration, anger, um, anxiety for sure. So, it's, so it's, what do you do really, in the short term? Because they are, you know, we don't, obviously we don't know when this is going to end. So, because when you're talking about someone who is grieving and they're grieving alone and they haven't been able to go through any of the rituals that we go through when someone dies or we lose someone, what should they be doing? They're sitting in, as you describe it, sitting in their apartment by themselves and a loved one has died, mm-hmm. a spouse, a parent. Um, yeah, I think that they, um, I think that they should be, everyone should be looking for support in those cases. I think that um, I know that I'm part of a consortium of people in the grief world. We're meeting twice a week on Zoom meetings to figure out how to bolster and brace um, for this onslaught of grief. And so I know that there are every organization that's that's involved in grief, in, in, at least in our country, is really trying to go virtual, trying to offer online support, trying to figure out how to help exactly that kind of person. Um, there are funeral homes that are doing virtual funerals right now. There are grief support groups that are virtual. Um, you know, just doing a simple search online can yield some really great results about that. Um, I think seeking any kind of support is, is important. You know, calling friends and family to talk with them, reading books about grief, um, visiting some of these virtual support groups. If you just do a search of your, even your type of loss, you know, you lost a parent or you lost a spouse or you lost a sibling, um, you can you can Google that and it should lend to results that show you um, different directions to go for support. But I think that no one should be, you know, really trying to, you know, weather through their grief alone, it's a really difficult process and, and we need we need help with it. What about children? How should children, uh, t- talk to us about the children and children coping with loss. And their loss may be different. They, they can't go to school anymore. They can't see their friends. It's not necessarily that someone died, but it's mm-hmm. th- their whole routine is upset and their interaction with kids yeah. their own age. How does that work? Um, I'm seeing that just firsthand. I have three kids at home, um, and, you know, I think they're going through their own grief process for sure. I'm seeing a lot of sadness, frustration, you know, bursts of anger, um, some anxiety as well. And I think what we need to be doing is addressing it, holding space for them, letting them grieve, not not getting too, it's hard not to get frustrated. Everybody's at home, especially with little kids and parents trying to work. It's really um, an interesting environment, but I think that really trying to let them feel okay about all the things that are coming up for them, let them grieve, missing their friends, missing school, missing summer plans, um, because that's very real grief for them. Um, I think, you know, when children go through a, the loss of a loved one, a sibling or a family member or a parent, that's that's a very large grief. But for children, it comes at different developmental age at developmental ages. You know, they kind of experience that grief over the period of years as they continue to mature. Um, and so, really trying to meet them where they are. And one thing I love to tell parents is that it's okay to say I don't know. I think some parents um, are afraid to talk to kids about these big things like death and loss and grief because they don't themselves have all the answers. But I think what's more important is to open up space and hold space for those conversations, even if you have to say, I don't know. Yeah, I, and I think what you said is that, I mean, each the children are at different developmental stages. I've noticed that with my grandchildren, a set of twins, two-year-old, mm-hmm. two, and the other is uh, the four-year-old. The two-year-olds are very happy because they're with their mother and father, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Right. They eat and sleep and play, and that's it. But the four-year-old is the one who's 
missing out on preschool and all of those kinds of things and and acting out. And I I think that's another thing, uh, dealing with with that um, can be a challenge for parents or grandparents or whomever uh, the kids are with. But so meeting them where they are is critical. Yeah. Yes. And I think parents need to be compassionate with themselves. I know a lot of people are very frustrated right now and having a hard time balancing the work home life with small kids and, you know, just being not, not letting, letting it be okay that things aren't perfect. You know, like homeschooling is really difficult, trying to work while you're doing that, trying to run a household and keep everything organized. So I think just not trying to be perfect through it. We're going to get through this somehow, some way, and come out on the other side, and hopefully we'll be able to get back to our more regular routines. And if things fall apart a little bit and things aren't perfect, I think that will be okay. Well, it's a learning experience, and it can be, as you say, and, and well, that's why we're talking about it, but can, coming out on the other side can really have a lot of positive effects. I mean... Yeah, it really can. And I think, you know, the same is true of grief and loss. Um, on a on a smaller personal individual level, I think that when we go through grief and loss, we often over a period of years maybe become very transformed as people. You know, loss can make you more compassionate. It can make you understand yourself on a different level. It can make you value your relationships or change things about your life that weren't working. Um, and I think that too, as a on a global scale, we'll come through this having learned an enormous amount about ourselves, about our world, about our culture, and and hopefully make positive changes. What would you say the one thing in your life in particular has helped you to mitigate some of this anxiety or or help you to deal with the grief and the law or grieving and loss that we're that we're having now? I mean, are there are there in are there particular I guess things that you've had to overcome before all this happened that have been helpful to you that you can you know, that you can draw on emotionally, strengths? Yeah, absolutely. I lost both of my parents um, in early adulthood. They both had cancer and died um, by the time I was 25, and I was an only child. So um, at a time when my peers were kind of moving out into the world and getting their first jobs and things, I was very much in the throes of grief and had to kind of work through a lot of that. I had a lot of anxiety and depression. The tools that I gained during that time were, you know, a combination of really leaning into and accepting my losses and incorporating them into part of me and my identity and also mindfulness and meditation. Um, and I'm really starting to pay attention to the thoughts I was thinking and how they were affecting my behavior and my life choices. Um, and so when this pandemic broke out, um, I leaned on a lot of those things. I leaned on um, knowing that it was okay to be grieving right now, knowing that it was okay to have all these big feelings about it, not trying to dismiss them or power through them, but to kind of sit with them and honor them. And then also really leaning on some of those techniques of meditation and um, being really mindful of how I'm taking in information, of how I'm processing my feelings and thoughts. And um, So that's been helpful to kind of know and have in my pocket to go through something like this. One of the other topics that you discussed is grief shaming in the times of global loss. Mm-hmm. Well, what is grief shaming? Grief shaming is really judging someone else's process or grief or loss. You know, um, I think sometimes when we're either when we ourselves are grieving and we're in a lot of pain, um, we can think that someone else's grief might not be as big. You know, I, I've heard of people shaming celebrities for, you know, talking about grief or loss that's not as personal or um, as deep as theirs, or 
um, or if we're, or if we haven't experienced a loss and we, we start to kind of judge someone about how quickly they're moving through their grief or how they're expressing their grief, either too much grieving or not enough grieving. Um, and I think that, you know, grief is so individual. And uh, David Kessler, who's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's co-writer um, for The Five Stages of Grief, he recently said, um, the, the biggest loss is always your loss. And I think that we have to remember that, you know, we can't, we can't ever really feel what it feels like to be in someone else's shoes. And so to judge their grief um, and just judge their loss just isn't, it doesn't work. Um, and I think that's also how we end up in this place of, you know, our culture uh, to, to date has not been so great at, at making space for grief. And so, and the reason for that is because we judge it and we try to tidy it up and we try to get people through it quickly. Um, and so we feel our own sense of shame if we're not moving forward or if we're really hindered by our loss um, because we we get this message that we're supposed to be better at it. I think that's a good point. And first of all, not judging other people's losses, but I, I sort of have an example of that of a, a friend who has lost a lot in terms of finances and all different kinds of things, relationship. And then someone who doesn't, and I'm judging, I guess, because this person doesn't really want to mm-hmm. acknowledge the loss and, and said to me, well, mm-hmm. it's it's all good. And, I, and it was like, mm-hmm. well, it's not really all good, but uh, <laughs> I did say that. But <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, and uh, we have to, I, I don't we have to meet people unique. where they are. Everyone's yeah. grief process is so different. It's funny. The number one thing people say to me when they come into my office is they sit down and they say, "I think I'm doing this wrong. I'm grieving wrong." You know, everyone <laughs> seems to have this idea that they're not doing it right, but there's no right way to grieve. There's your way to grieve. Um, the the thing that I think that we can do better, if anything, is just lean into it more, really let ourselves feel it more, let ourselves acknowledge how big a loss is or how, how much grief affects us. Are you do- doing counseling or therapy online? Um, I'm offering some virtual support. Um, I have a course that I designed a couple years ago. I, I feel thankful to be a little bit ahead of this virtual game because I've been doing it for a while. Um, I was at capacity in my private practice and then the book was coming out, so I created some online courses that are for grieving, like something you can sign up for at 3 in the morning and start doing on your own. Um, you receive videos and a workbook and things like that. Um, and then I do online live discussions with Q&As and things like that. Um, and so I think that you know any kind of grief support is, is vital right now. So if we wanted to access that, we but we shouldn't access it at three in the morning. As you said before, <laughs> we should you can, wait you till want. we've had breakfast, right? Um, <laughs> but you, how can we access Well, you know, we don't have to wait uh, till the end of the show. <laughs> it's clairebidwellsmith.com and um, there's a whole wealth there. There's meditations for grieving. There's um, videos and talks and um, all kinds of things there that you can dive into and lots of resources that can point you in all kinds of other directions too depending on what it is you need. Um, because again, I think that the thing, we have to be compassionate with ourselves when we're going through a big emotional process, upheaving like this, and, uh, and seek support. What about, let's talk about technology. Technology mm-hmm. often has, has replaced grieving, let's say, in per, all of this is being done virtually, or most of it's being done virtually. If you're with family and you can support each other or friends and whomever, that's different. But what about technology which is here to help us but it's not exactly the same as well me coming to your office and sitting down and talking to you 
um, but as opposed to going online and and looking what you know looking uh, uh, at your website. So, what is what do we have to look for? What's the difference? Because are are there things that we're gaining from it and things that we're not you know that we're losing from not being able to to be in person with Absolutely. a account. Yeah. I, I think that in-person is definitely best, but that's not an option right now. And so second best is this virtual, these virtual resources, whether it's, um, you know, Skyping with a therapist or if it's joining a virtual grief group. Um, I think really one of the best things for grief is to, is to be with other people who are also grieving because again, it can feel so lonely and isolating to be going through a loss and, being around other people who really understand what you're feeling um, is, is really can be profoundly healing. Um, so I've always recommended grief groups and um, for people who, who aren't feeling the group vibe or are really needing some specific individualized work on their grief, you know, one-on-one therapies is, is, is immeasurably helpful. But right now those just are not options. So I think better than anything is, or better than nothing is, um, is, is seeking this virtual support. Um, and there's a lot of it out there. I think every therapist I know is, is offering, you know, phone or Skype or things like that. Um, what I think we're losing is, you know, just some of that connection. Like, for instance, I can't stand to Skype with clients because I'm when we're when we're looking at each other on the video, I'm looking at their face on the screen, but the camera it it ends up looking like I'm looking down, you know, and it makes me crazy. I prefer to talk to someone on the phone because. If I can't look into their eyes, it just feels so disingenuous and strange. Um, so we're, we're losing some sense of connection there. But, but I do think that the essence is, is somewhat, you know, it's weakened, but it's still there of that connection of feeling understood, of helping someone um, understand all the big emotions you're going through and, and help you navigate and find tools to support yourself. Claire, what happens, and we have a couple minutes left, so just tell maybe briefly, mm-hmm. what happens if you aren't able to do these, these the, what we've been talking about and um, things begin to snowball and we really feel out of control, then just where do we go and what do we do? I mean, I think if you're really in a tough spot, you should call a crisis hotline. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of hotlines out there and people ready to pick up the phone and help you if you're really in a, in a big heated moment where you don't feel able to get through it. Um, or if you don't have resources or some way to um, kind of access some of these virtual support. I think even just reading books or trying to call a friend, normalize these feelings, know that, you know, you're not truly alone and, and all these things that you're feeling are, are very real and very valid. Um, I think for people who are feeling very lonely and not um, being able to have their usual customs, I think that we really need to turn towards our own sense of ritual which isn't something that our American culture, Western culture has a big sense of is the individual sense of ritual, but even just lighting a candle at night um, to feel that you're honoring either the world at large or someone specific you lost. Um, I know that's a little different from being in crisis, but I just want to make that point too, because I think people feel like they can't do these things um, because the usual customs aren't there. But I think that we're feeling so much inside that we have to find ways to honor it and let it out, whether it's just inventing stuff on our own in our apartment in Brooklyn or, you know, being able to find some kind of support outside of that. 
Great advice. It's great having you on the show. You've, uh, you've given you. us a lot to think about and, that, and some very practical things to do in managing our anxiety and our grief. And I've been talking to Claire Bidwell-Smith. She's a therapist. Her new book is Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, A Revolutionary Approach to Understanding and Healing the Impact of Loss. Um, thank you so much. Stay healthy and I guess I always say stay sane. That's part of it, right? <laughs> yeah, stay safe and so sane. Much, yeah. Thank it's great you. to talk with you. Thank you. Great, great to talk to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs> 